Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we make it easy to understand what's going on in the tech world so that you can get the skills to break in, level up, and most importantly, have access to information that you never had access to before. Why is that important? The reason why that's important is because you got to know how to play the game if you want to navigate, if you want to know how to move your pieces, if you want to be strategic. But more importantly, the reason why you got to know what's going on is because we got to know how to work together so we can create a movement that's never been seen before in history. And today we're going to talk about how most artists fail. We're going to talk about background checks. We're going to talk about how you bounce back to work when you're in those different types of situations. And we're also going to talk about blue collar jobs. When we talk about blue collar jobs, we're going to create audio imagery in your mind so that you can understand the environment that my man Ian Harriman went from before he moved to San Francisco from Southern California. And you can compare and contrast after you like our Facebook page at Breaking Into Startups and see the video tour for where he's working in now with views overlooking the entire city. Before getting into this episode, I want to give a shout out to uh, everybody that continues giving uh, ideas, not just for online initiatives that we can execute on, but also the offline things you want us to do because we're going to do them. Also, shout out to all of you that continue asking for resources because we're going to make sure that we find them for you. And if you guys didn't check out Iris Nevin's campaign, you can see how she was able to raise the resources she was she needed on her GoFundMe in a day through the Breaking Stars community. So shout out to all of you who were able to make it that happen. And finally, shout out to everybody that continues inviting people to be part of the Breaking Into Startups family because this is a family. And if you know somebody that needs to need support and wants to know how to break in, please tell them to join our group. Tell them to email us and introduce yourselves. You know, let, let we'll connect you with the right people. And without further ado, happy new year and let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so it's 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. We don't make our guests come to us, we come to them. So today we're sitting at Checker. Their offices are located in Fidei. And right now we're actually sitting on the 20th floor with a crazy view of the whole city. And before this, we just wrapped up the Inside of a Startups video series. So if you want to see the faces of our guests and you want to see what it's like to be under campus, just go to our Facebook page. It's Breaking the Startups on Facebook, and you can actually see the whole campus tour. So it's getting late, and we got food and we got drinks here, and we're about to jump in into another episode of Breaking into Startups. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Absolutely. I know I talk about Atlanta a lot, but for those of you guys that don't know, I actually was born in Loma Linda, California, and our guest Ian Harriman was also born in Southern California, and he is a rock star sales mid-market account executive that rose up through the ranks from a sales development representative. He also spent a lot of time working in government. He 
is an athlete that worked in football, baseball, basketball. He's a Lakers fan. He's a fighter, so don't mess with him. He's just an, an amazing all-around guy. We're going to go into details about all of that, including his leadership for the Bounce Back to Work program here at Checker. But before doing that, we're going to also talk about how most companies fail um, and his experience at a company that was failing and how he bounced back to where he currently is. So Ian, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ruben. Nice to meet you guys. Glad to have you here at Checker HQ. Thank you, man. So before talking about that experience, can you tell us a little bit about what is Checker? Yeah. So Checker is a background check company. The big difference is we utilize software instead of people to complete a majority of parts of the process. So I'm sure most of you know services like Uber, Postmates, DoorDash, really anything that brings individual to your home to do something that you don't necessarily want to do yourself. Checker's that layer of trust and safety that makes it a little bit safer and adds a little bit of rigor to the actual applicants that come in that process. We developed an API for background checks, a little different than the APIs that were on the market. We have a REST API, the first one on the market to really take off. So we solved a problem that was not currently being addressed by any vendors in the space. So we were new players coming up and now we're starting to exceed all expectations and what's been built up. We're now the fourth largest CRA by volume with a fraction of the employees. And that's all due to the tech. Thanks, man. Awesome, man. Awesome. And so we're, we're going to go into detail about, you know, why, you know, you joined this company. And I think that, you know, talking a little bit about fam- your family is going to be important there. But before doing that, let's talk about your experience at a startup that was failing. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, like most of the listeners here, I was driven to get into a startup. I came into the city and after missing on all the big opportunities I thought I was meant for, I needed a job. San Francisco is expensive, everybody. San Francisco is very, very expensive. Most people have roommates. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I had to get a job. I joined a tech company and unlike most of the tech companies you hear about, it wasn't the glamour, the perks, or the opportunity. It was the grind and the struggle and the small victories that mattered. So really my experience with startups has been rooted in that. I think for most people out there, you have to be ready for that situation. You have to almost agree with yourself that you're going to be in a place of struggle and you're going to have to fight. We don't all get the great stories, the prosperous outcomes. You have to be somebody that's accepting of the fact that you could be in a dead end place and you could have vested tons of stock for nothing. But, um, but paint the picture. I mean, like we have these beautiful views and we got this food and these benefits. Like, let's talk about the benefits or like what was going on at the startup that was trying to take off. Like, what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, you know, we had a building downtown uh, in the financial district. The carpets were yellow. The uh, <laughs> businesses next to us were old, like grandfathered in businesses that have been there for years. Our perks in terms of food was uh, there was 50 granola bars a week and you had to get yours. <laughs> so that's, you know, just a glimpse at that kind of stuff. Really what the job was, was, you know, coming in, trying to make something out of nothing and having whatever perks that the company could offer just so it could check those boxes of having perks to attract talent. So, And that's not always a bad thing, right? Because a lot of times, you know, when a company takes off, they have a lot of money, they have some mm-hmm. fees that back them. But the people that are in the beginning stages, you know, have to be very wise about how they use their money and not just spending it and having a crazy high burn rate so that they can actually get to the point where they take off. Yeah. yeah. And culture is also like super important factor when you pick a company because 
like when you're interviewing, just pay attention. It's not just a one-way process where like they're interviewing you. You should also be screening them. And you want to look for signs of like, does everyone sit together? Is it an open layout? Like what kind of some cues that will tell you like what it's going to be like working on the inside. And I guess when you were interviewing with them, did you have any of those like kind of intuition or senses of like what this culture is going to be like? Or you kind of were like just looking for a job and you jumped in and then figured out from there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a mix of both. You know, culture is a funny thing that you bring up. It's Mm -hmm. something that plagues Silicon Valley and tech companies. It's used as like a strong factor for what kind of candidates people like. And then, like you said, screening the actual employer for what you'd be a fit for. Given I wasn't privy to this and didn't know any of this, I didn't think to even like look out for any of that. I saw some people talking about fantasy sports. I saw like some ping pong table records up on the board. I thought they'd be, you know, I thought it worked for me and I'm pretty easy guy. It did work for me. So culture is important, but if you're looking for the glamorous startup, you're going to have to do your homework a little bit more on market fit, scalability of the company, what they've been doing. And I think it depends on what you, you're really looking for in a startup. So at that time, given my situation, that's what I needed. And that was a platform that definitely bumped me up to a great opportunity like Checkers. So don't be afraid of you know maybe taking something that will be a little bit more work, a little bit more of a struggle because you're going to learn more from those experiences than you will from coasting, you know, nice and easy at a cushy job. Yeah. And, and before talking about like your family, how you got interested in Checker and all of that, I think that, you know, something we've talked about in a previous podcast, I think it was Todd's podcast, we talked about like the mental calculations. So remembering, you know, Archer was talking about interviews. So when you come in, you could observe and see what the founders or the people in the company are spending their money on. And if, you know, a lot of people might just be raising a bunch of VC money and just spending it on the wrong things. And like, you can see, you know, how they're, if they're using their money efficiently or not, that should be a factor in your decision, not just because, you know, they have a lot of perks or anything like that. So. Yeah. In the pre-chat, you mentioned that you came out here because before that you were working in the transportation industry, you came out here with this dream of working for Uber. But just like companies have to pivot when they when things don't work out as they planned, you pivoted and uh, you said, hey, like I need to make money. I need to find a startup that will actually pay my bills. Looking back, what advice would you have given yourself like to your, I guess, younger self who was out here hungry, but at the same time, it wasn't just given to you. You had to go and fight for it. So what advice would you give yourself? I'd say do more, do more, do more. It wasn't like where I landed that I think, you know, was a bad thing at all. I think doing more around finding more opportunities like that. I took, you know, the first opportunity that showed its face at me. I got turned down from all my interviews. The constant phrase was, you're not a culture fit. You're not a culture fit. You're not a culture fit. Your hair's too long. You got tattoos. You're not a culture fit. You're not a culture fit. So I took the first role that came at me instead of pushing harder for more opportunities like that. And something too, just is one thing that I critique myself on. I wish I, to this day, would do better is, um, don't take things personally. Today, even when I lose a sales deal, even when I have a conversation that doesn't go my way, I feel like it's me against the person. And it's not necessarily always like that. So when I get rejected from a job, I thought it was something against me, like they must have the problem with me. So I'd write back these fiery emails like, I appreciate that you took the time to tell me no, but let me tell you why I'm right and you're wrong and you're missing out. And I'm sure maybe I burned bridges, but that's just something that I would say to get over. And I need to continue to work on. It's not always personal. Yeah, you were hungry. And sometimes like you could be fiery and upset and you can just be like, hey, like, thanks. I mean, I'm, if you are expressing that you're upset about it, you could also ask for feedback and then you know what you don't know. Or mm-hmm. if you did your best, 
you know, and you still didn't get the job and the feedback that they're giving you isn't fully accurate, just recognize that there's some things that are out of your control. And the only thing you could do is wake up with a smile, do your best and watch the movie. Exactly. Right? You know, let's talk a little bit about what happened. So like you were at this company that was failing. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think it fully failed, but you, you were thinking about what you wanted to do next. What happened? Yeah. So from there, I, I'll tell you a little bit about the company. I had kind of a dual role where I was both recruiting salespeople and then also selling the business to other tech companies. So I got a lot of exposure to like up and coming and hot startups, which was kind of cruel when you look back at it because you were kind of dangling this like nice shiny thing in front of our faces. And I saw people getting paid twice as much as me and they were way worse of a candidate than I was. So like that was rough, but I stuck through it, you know, didn't jump for any opportunities that came through from my startup. But instead, a buddy of mine had a connection to a founder of a startup and that founder had recommended that he or anybody that he knew was looking and trusted, you know, talk to this guy, the first sales guy at Checker. So being a trusted confidant of my boy, Nick, shout out Nick DePastina. I met Kyle, Kyle Mack, our sales lead for sales guy here at Checker. We just had a conversation about what I'm up to, what I'm looking to do, what I'm looking for in a company. And then just made sure that, honestly, that I, that was a cool guy that he could work with day in and day out because he knew that we were going to be pulling 10-hour days. So once I kind of got vetted through that side of it, he brought me in on site to meet some of the executives. I went through more of your traditional on-site interview. And then I got pushed an offer later that day in front of my boss at my old startup, which was kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> he even asked me afterwards, he was like, did you just get a job offer? And I was like, oh, man. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah, something else. So we, we're definitely going to talk about, you know, the process. You um, you got the job through referral. And I think we talk a lot about how like most jobs aren't online and come through referral, especially in tech. And so it's pretty cool that you got it that way. But let's talk about why you chose the company, because a lot of people get a lot of offers, like you said. And especially when you have experience, it's hard to choose for things outside of just benefits and salary and things like that. So let's talk a little bit about your family and how that led to your decision. Yeah. And this is something too, I just want to throw out there that I don't talk about this much. And it's not that it's an overtly sensitive thing. It's just, yeah, I keep a little mystery in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I come from this small town called Victorville in Southern California. If you don't know much about Victorville, that's not a big issue because not most people do, but it's in between Los Angeles and Vegas. It's one of those pass through towns in the desert. And growing up there, I mean, you come from mainly a blue collar working family. That's where I came from. You have a weird mix of people that have been up there for you know a couple generations, and then you have an influx of people from the Los Angeles area who's got enough money for a big house because housing's cheap out there. You get a lot of land, um, so it's really diverse out there. But in that, there's no industry out there, so that kind of broods problems, struggles, getting into the wrong influences. And I've got a lot of experience just with family, friends, you know, getting into trouble, getting caught by the police, getting mixed up with the wrong crowd. So. Where I come from, criminal records really aren't out of, you know, just out of the norm. And a background check is something that is a direct blocker for getting a job. And if, you know, some of my friends, some of my family saw background check required on a job application, it's likely they wouldn't even apply because they know what the result is going to be or they don't have enough trust to know that they're going to be taken through the process properly. So the idea of a background check was really interesting. Now, if you hold that thought and then think about, I came from transportation. So I was thinking about Uber is a new way of getting from point A to point B. That was like where I wanted to work 100%. Being a Laker fan, that was like the Lakers of tech for me. Like that's where (laughs) I wanted to be. But I couldn't get there 
And it's just kind of poetic a little bit that I'm now at the background check company that, you know, supplies the infrastructure to allow companies like that to actually work. So kind of like the gold rush, they talk about the people that made the most money were the ones that sold Levi's and shovels. So in the on-demand economy, I think I'm in the gold rush era where I'm now selling background checks, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the programs that you're leading here. And one of them is the Bounce Back to Work program. We're going to talk a little bit more about sales and what you're doing outside of that. But talk about speaking of background checks and you know people that are blocked from different things. You know, growing up in Atlanta, I see a lot of similar things that you talked about before. Some people call that the trap where they might come out when they were formerly incarcerated. They want to change their life. They can't get a job. So they're forced to do what they were doing before. But you guys are doing something different that's giving people second chances. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So bounce back to work. I'd like to take credit for all of it, but it was actually going on like right as I got hired. And it was something that more so was like a very blatant truth of background checks, right? It's this big blocker. We all know it. Everybody that works at Checker knows it. Everybody that works at a background check company knows that. So when I got in, they were already having conversations on how to provide some kind of solution for that. So when I joined early on, it was just, you know, a couple people trying to figure out what are the literal baby steps on how to even get something started or the thought of something started. So Bounce Back to Work has gone through a transformation of those baby steps and trying to understand the people the background checks actually impact to today being a dynamic group that works both on the employer side. So adding a lot of education resources for employers so that they know how to properly screen employees and even seeing what's on a background check, how to apply that to the actual job. There's all these guidelines from the EEOC, but they're just guidelines. So we actually come in with some practical support to help that. And then on the consumer side, we've been working with a lot of groups to get opportunities for them. So Checker itself is a fair chance employer. We look at everybody, no matter what your background check is, we're looking for the best people for the job. So we're looking for more companies like Checker so that we can connect applicants to those opportunities so that we can break that cycle that you just kind of described and get people opportunity because that's all we really need at the end of the day is some opportunity to take that step up. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that Checker is changing the perception of background checks like through your initiatives and through like working closely and supporting your clients? Do you think that the concept of a background check is evolving? I mean, I'd like to think that we're playing an integral piece to that. There are other background check vendors that do things like uh, having a consumer background check product and do focus a little bit where we're at. But not to the level of detail that, that we're doing today. We're, I mean, we partner with a company called Defy Ventures where we send new people in our company inside of prison so that they can see exactly what's going on and actually meet these people. Dope. You know, we work with local organizations like Code Tenderloin to actually, yep. you know, help them find opportunity, find Shout housing. You know, so I don't know of another background check company that's on the ground hiring people that we're walking the walk. Like, I don't know anybody else that's doing that. If they are, like, you know, good for you guys. And we're a part of the same, you know, thought and alliance here. But at least to my knowledge, Checker is the only one really pushing this initiative. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, man, you guys are about that action, which is very dope. And you guys are actually giving people internships as well. And I think that's really important because, you know, there's a lot of people talking about full-time employees, which is very important, but you also have people talking about apprenticeships and your internships convert into full-time. So can you talk about that cycle? Yeah. I mean, this really comes from that cycle. I think all job seekers see like you need to have experience to get into a role that'll get you the experience to get the role, right? It's this like, you know, ever, never ending cycle. So 
what we're doing is um, we have an internship program. It's almost more like a fellowship. It's paid, full benefits. You come in for a period of time. You work with our applicant support team. You get a sense of other processes within the business. And then there's the opportunity to come on full time if um, the business needs are there or to jump to another team if you're a good fit. But this is a good opportunity for anybody who doesn't have traditional experience or who has maybe been locked up for so long they didn't get the opportunity for real experience outside that will give them some concrete, tangible opportunities to understand very modern processes. So like how to use Zendesk, how to use phone systems and queues and and the best way to use macros, et cetera. Like uh, these are real skills that will be applied in all kinds of different jobs. So uh, just having this experience through our internship program is already, you know, a step up. But if there's an opportunity to stay, then Checker would love to have them. Yeah. Just to tell all the listeners, we had to move conference rooms because Checker is adding another floor below the 20th floor that we're on. So they're definitely hiring. So definitely take them up on the offer and go on their website and see uh, how to apply for these roles. I had a question for you. So when these people apply and they come on board, what kind of mentorship? So like you mentioned, some of them are coming from very non-traditional backgrounds. So do you guys provide resources or are there study groups that help those folks on board and become like fully functioning employees? Yeah. I mean, uh, we have a whole week here called onboarding week where um, you do nothing but learn about background checks, the company, the processes. Somebody from HR here who takes care of all of our learning puts it on. We even take you to the courthouses so you can see how records are actually pulled in person. It's a very in-depth, immersive program so that after this week of over-information, you can at least hop on the phone or have a conversation with somebody about background checks and know what you're talking about. it Because it is a convoluted, complicated process that most people honestly don't really know much about because it's this black box that their information goes into and and a result is spit out. So we try to give some clarity and shine a light into the black box. And I think that helps people not only professionally and and with the internship, but it's also just a good life skill. I mean, you never know when a background check needs to be run. So being on the informed side is always going to be beneficial. Yeah. And these internships also allow companies to evaluate this potential employee, like their work ethic, how curious they are before they give them the full-time offer. So in this case, both parties win because you have the employer who gets to work with the person before they extend the full-time offer. And then you have the intern who is now getting their foot through the door and get to work at some of the coolest companies. Just to dig deeper into your story, you mentioned that when you were becoming a salesperson, you actually had to take a step down or you had to kind of... We talk about climbing mountains a lot. It sounds like with the transportation job you had before, you were climbing one hill and then you had to climb down that hill and start as an SDR to get a, your foot through the door at a startup in San Francisco. Can you talk more about that and what motivated you to give up something that you already worked so hard for just to start over again? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple different layers to this, but after my job in more the government space where I was advocating for more public transit dollars and the best kind of technology into bus systems. You know, I saw Uber as an opportunity. I wanted to come out here. So I was willing to take as many steps back as possible to get there. Unfortunately, I ended up at this company that I wasn't super passionate about, but I was ready to grind for. So I became an SDR, you know, did it over there, got into a closing role. And then from there, when I got the opportunity with Checker, very similarly, I had to take a step back. And that was my second time doing so. So in my mind, I was like, wow, like, am I ever going to catch one? Like, well, what's going on here? You know what I mean? So I did take a step back because the opportunity made sense. So this was an opportunity to build out the sales development process. So both the inbound and outbound process. 
I could scope that out for what I've seen work best alongside best practices, and then really just shape the sales team up based on what I've seen work and based on what's worked for me. You know, I thought that would be a great opportunity to have a sales org that was high performing, close in a lot of money with uh, very few reps, which is something that we're still doing today. So if the step back makes, if taking a step back makes sense, I totally advocate for it, but you got to know when and where having that kind of awareness, I think is really critical in those situations. Love that level of humility. And I'm excited that we're getting ready to talk about sales, not just because that's something I'm personally passionate about, but also because there's a lot of people that are dealing with these situations that we covered that are, you know, tellers or retails people or people that are bartenders or whatever. And sales is a perfect route to go up. So we're going to deep dive into there. But um, for the people that don't know, can you explain what inbound versus outbound is and, and lead generation and kind of talk about how your org is structured? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So inbound is essentially when somebody's coming to you, they're interested, they want to buy. Outbound is they don't have any idea who you are and you need them to buy. So uh, those are the big differences there. Your inbound process is properly scoring leads, understanding needs, and then routing them effectively and efficiently. Whereas outbound is creating processes to actually get first meetings to generate that kind of interest. And there's tons of ways to do that. Being on more of the creative side is how you actually do better in that. And so setting up a process for being creative is really difficult. But if you can hit kind of the right formula, then you're in an org where you've got two reps pushing out 10 to 15 new meetings every week for maybe two or three account executives to field, pick out the best opportunities or to run with all of them. So so that's kind of like the, the big difference between inbound and outbound. Yeah. And what's the relationship between marketing and sales? Yeah. So... You know, a lot of people know marketing just from kind of the flashy titles and maybe the nice suits that they wear or something like that. I don't know. Or, or uh, Mad Men. Mad Men's a yeah. great show. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Mad Men. Uh, <laughs> but uh, marketing essentially builds that infrastructure for the inbound process. So they're getting the brand out there, doing all of your collateral. So like white pages, ads, anything that's really going to drive traffic to the company and to the website. And then on more strategic level, marketing helps with positioning, product marketing, and all that kind of stuff. But your general marketing function is going to drive business to the company so that you don't have to necessarily rely on an outbound process. Generating leads, warming them up with content marketing, things like that. Okay, cool. Can you walk us through like a typical day that you experience here, like maybe from the SDR perspective? uh, Yeah, from an SDR perspective, and then uh, your current role on the mid-market team. Yeah, I mean... uh, it's funny talking about the SDR days. So as an SDR, I probably wake up at like 4 a.m. stressed, stressing, <laughs> stressing. I, I knew I had my quota at the end of the week. I had to have five meetings set that week. So I'm waking up four in the morning, rolling around in bed, can't sleep. So I'm trying to sleep till about maybe like 6, 630. I'm getting up, getting into work so I can maybe hit some calls on the East Coast. But then I'll have call blocks. I'll do an East Coast call block, then do some email follow ups and then a quick call block on the West Coast before lunch because executives are usually the last ones out of office. I'll eat a quick lunch, get back on it and hit the East Coast again. But that time difference, they're about to leave. So I need to hit them, do some email follow-up in between. And then at the end of the day, hit my executives here on the West Coast. So I do a lot of that. LinkedIn has been super, super powerful. And that's something I pushed a lot here at Checker. So in our process, we have both the phone calls, the emails, and then the LinkedIn follow-ups. If you hit people on LinkedIn, kind of get a deeper sense of who they are through social media or through you know any kind of research you can do online. They're more apt nowadays to respond to a LinkedIn message. 
at least that's been as of late. I know LinkedIn's getting overcrowded nowadays, but that's typically what it would look like. Then I would do my account research after 5 p.m. after everybody's left the office. So I'd be there till like 6, 6.30, plotting with my other SDRs on what we're going to do the next day. And then I get home and then rinse and repeat. Yeah. And so you mentioned five meetings a week quota. You know, how are sales development representatives compensated? Yeah. I mean, it's a performance-based industry. So you're going to get half your pay as salary. So you can pay your bills with that. And then the rest is is what you put up. So we're usually on like a on a split. Most reps starting off are going to be like on a 45K to maybe like an 80K, 90K like commission basis. And the other half of that is going to be your OT. So what you actually perform. On target uh, or earnings for yep, the people that there don't we go. Yeah, kill the acronyms, by the way. Kill <laughs> death to acronyms, right? <laughs> All good. Keep going. Okay. And uh, then and here you guys have it where it's uncapped for SDRs as well. What does that mean? Yeah. Uncapped for SDRs, uncapped just in general means the more you do, the more you work, the more you close, the more meetings you set up, the more you get paid. So uh, there's no ceiling on us that says you only make so much. It's the land of opportunity in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco, so you can make as much as you do. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that growing up, you were uh, playing a lot of sports. It's kind of known that there's a lot of people who come from sports, they do well in sales. What kind of culture does your team have? And do you guys encourage competition? Or do you guys are more collaborative or both? Can you talk more about that? Is it like Wolf of Wall Street? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, to the contrary, the sales culture here at Checker is completely different than something you would find, I'd say, at like 90% of the tech companies out here. All of us are... I do have a sports background, but I say that's something that's very weak in my personality nowadays. I am competitive, but most of our reps here, especially the successful ones, are a bit deeper. So like my buddy Nick that I shouted out earlier, he owns a coffee company in Arizona. Our sales lead Kyle here is like damn near an engineer. I've done some you know funky things trying to start my own companies and having lobbying background. So at Checker, it's not like a sales bro, which like you hear yeah. as a term here, it's a lot different than that. And I, it's more because we're the foundational team. As soon as we want to 3D print sales guys, we can bring some of those dudes in khakis. But yeah. uh, today, that's not how it goes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Going into before you became an account executive, you talked about you spent the time being in strategic development, working with the CEO to develop you know, your sales model for the rest of the team. What was that like? And, and what is that? I mean, um, so after my first quarter at Checker, my boss pulled me in a room. Uh, I didn't know if I was getting fired. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> And he asked if I was interested in helping our CEO and founder figure out our chasm strategy. And to take a step back here, the chasm strategy is a go-to-market strategy where you focus on specific verticals one at a time. You focus on the problems that that vertical has and you solve those problems with your product. You capture a majority of that industry before moving on to the next chasm. That way that you win market share and kind of go in like a domino effect. Um, so that was the strategy from an executive level checker decided on. And we're looking at our first real chasm. Luckily, we had the product market fit and the on-demand economy to where we didn't even have to plan it out. It was just like a natural fit between timing, the product and the need. Everything just kind of made sense. But that kind of home run doesn't happen all the time. So can you give an example of a chasm? So you, is it a specific industry like transportation as an example, or is it more broad like on-demand startups? Yeah. I mean, it's really how narrow or broad you want to make it. And it's really dependent on the use case. So for example, with the on-demand chasm, if you will, that's pretty broad. Like anybody that's using independent contractors through some kind of software to order, deliver, et cetera, that was a fit. The next fit that we ended up researching and and falling on was uh, call centers, outsource call centers. So 
Uh, most of you probably know about them. They're telemarketing agencies. Their company is calling because you didn't pay your bills, collection companies. None of us really like them. But if you worked at one or have so before, you understand that it's a very high churn industry. People usually start and leave within the same quarter. So for a background check company, that's very lucrative because uh, the size of our deals is dependent on the number of background checks that are run as opposed to maybe like seats and other you know softwares or users or anything like that. So call centers made a lot of sense to us because they had high turnover, they had low margins. They're looking for ways to both be more efficient and to be more cost effective. So something like a background check was probably one of those hidden gems to them. I guarantee their finance teams were looking at just a breakdown of costs. And that was something that they're spending way too much money on that they didn't know was available for a better solution. So we're on the kind of like end route of that right now. And we've been solving the problems there. We've had quite a bit of success. I mean, just in the last you know six, seven months, we brought on a few enterprise customers and a whole slew of mid-market and SMBs. I mean, we're on a strong track to capture the market before the end of the year. Nice. Awesome. And speaking of, you know, you talked about some things that you also developed. You talked about storytelling and just like the training that you guys have here, tonality. Like what are some of the other things you incorporated before you became like the full like mid-market account executive? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things that, that I believe in, I mean, take a step back, like I never thought I'd be a sales guy. Like I don't think too many salespeople do. So I didn't have a lot of like traditional knowledge or backstory. I didn't even get a business degree in college. So one thing I was always really good at though was like telling a good story, connecting with people, being, you know, very transparent into what's going on and having that sense of humility and and connecting with people, building trust and challenging people are something that are really effective in sales. So going back to my mistakes of challenging those interviewers or hiring managers that rejected me. That's a bad case of challenging people. But in sales, you can actively challenge people in the right way. And that's good. I mean, we're all professionals for a reason. As long as you're not being like out of line, challenging somebody and having like a healthy debate will grow like the relationship yeah. between you and the prospect. There's a book about that called Challenge Yourself. Yeah. And uh, how did you spin your story to make it appealing to startups? Because you obviously had a non-traditional background. You were in government, transportation. How did you present it in an appealing way that startups looked at you and were like, oh, we want to have this guy on our team? I mean, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. They, uh, I wasn't a culture fit. They, um, you know, I got rejected everywhere. The only time that it worked was when I met somebody person to person in a very um, like non-interview capacity mm-hmm. uh, where I was able just to connect with the person, mm-hmm. you know, give him my backstory uh, and then also just be honest. I think that was one thing that I had a hard time with in some of my early interview processes was like, how honest am I with these companies about what I want? Because I didn't know if it was sales and some of the roles for like I was applying for, I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. So I think just that transparency and humility when I first met Kyle from Checker was, you know, what at least opened the door for me. And then from there, I just had to follow through, do my research. I mean, I know our listeners know this, but like research, 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 like you got to know the company you got to know what they're doing, current events, all that kind of stuff. So I think being more informed than the next guy is what really uh, put me maybe a nose ahead when when I was interviewing at Checker. Probably being honest about, you know, how you grew up and like why Checker makes sense for you is probably what resonated. A lot of people don't explain why they want to be someone, how their story connects and or even if it doesn't connect, how to paint that picture. So you walked us through a day in the life as an SDR. Can you walk us through a day in the life as an AE? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot different now. So um, 
You seem a lot less stressed. A lot less stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> he's um, he's learned how to, how to control. He's cool. He's yeah, smooth. there we yeah. go. So instead of waking up at 4.30, I wake up at 5. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you know, nowadays I come in, my calendar, I usually have three or four, you know, calls set up, whether they're first calls, uh, demos, or what I like to call, or the team likes to call a review call. I mean, that's getting buy-in from your prospects. That was set up by your SDR. No, today, the way the team's built out is we have no outbound SDRs. So we have one inbound SDR that takes care of lead gen and coordinating. And then me and the other mid-market rep do all of our own meetings. So. Oh, wow. So you guys do prospecting and closing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> still Hunters. grinding. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So yeah, now I come in, I check my calendar, make sure you know I'm set up to do prep for all those calls. Prepping is very important. And then from there, the rest of the time, I calendar. I'm big on calendaring, making sure I have that prospecting time, that outbound headhunting time so that I can get more meetings on the top of the funnel. And then I have a hard stop every day. Doesn't matter when. I just make sure I have a few hours to work on bounce back to work. So today, because bounce back to work is not a full-time thing, everybody that doesn't contributes is a night, weekends, blood and sweat kind of thing. I have to make sure that I have a few hours every day to work on that or the initiative doesn't move forward. So it's not like, well, I guess it is kind of like sales. Like uh, you don't get paid if you don't work with bounce back to work. Like you don't get closer to the goal, to the mission, to really progressing things unless you work. So I do have about a quarter of a day, you know, setback compared to my colleagues or other mid-market AEs out there because I got to put time into bounce back to work. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about the outcomes and like what initiatives are you currently working on? Through bounce back to work? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of what I do today through bounce back to work, we have OKRs, like any company, and that's objective key results. Kill, kill this. Nice, yep. nice, nice breakdown. <laughs> nice there we go. So we have team OKRs where we figure out the initiatives and the projects for the quarter. So I manage those project teams, I make sure that meetings are being scheduled so we do progress every week. And then it's similar to sales. I'm reaching out to people that are big in the community of fair chance hiring. I try to establish partnerships. And then I usually take first calls with potential partners, selling them on what Bounce Back to Work's doing now and what we're doing in the future and why it makes sense for us to, to get involved and work towards the So same you're building yeah. partnerships with other startups or other companies and helping them kind of create their own or use your kind of Bounce Back to Work as a blueprint to run the same program inside their organizations? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So whether it's on the education side or on the partnership side, a lot of it is selling the dream. I mean, um, right now we're in a phase where we are building out actual tech solutions with our engineering team to contribute to bounce back to work. Things like I mentioned earlier, but like a consumer background check, we're looking to do one that's a bit different and a bit more effective. Uh, similar, we have some stuff coming down the line that hopefully you guys come back for and we can focus on oh, yeah, uh, a little bit. That, yep. sure. But so it's really selling the dream on that kind of stuff and then making sure we have the right partners to make sure that those are possible. So those are the big things. And then outside of that, I mean, Internally, I just really try to make sure that uh, teams are hitting those goals. I think making sure the team understands the initiative and why it matters is really huge. So I just try to be a soundboard there to bounce back why you know this is important. Why, why, why? I mean, that really gets the team to complete a lot of this stuff. I mean, they do the work. I just try to make sure everybody's on the right track. That's awesome. And I love that you, before that, you touched on the important, just the way that you manage your calendar is something I've been reading about actually. And High output management by Andy Grove because a lot of people they have their calendar set up as a way for like people to just kind of like throw something on there and they don't necessarily manage it proactively. It sounds like you proactively schedule blocks so that you can accomplish everything in your day. So you're like essentially doing two or three jobs and that's awesome. So 
and I think it's very similar like for people that are trying to look for jobs, like certain blocks for I'm sending out emails here, I'm following up with emails here, I'm taking a break here, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. I mean, like we're all humans, like we all get brain dead after a while. We all get into like a point in time where it feels like we're more going through the motions and doing anything. And that it's regardless of if you're doing sales, if you're mowing lawns, like whatever you're doing, you just want to make sure to break that up so that you're delivering the best product all the time. So if that's like outbound emails or cold calls, you just want to make sure that you're sharp, you're aware and things are going well. And you can't do that if you've been doing that for hours and hours on end. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done this interview, interviewed sales people a lot on this podcast and typically we'll ask them if they ever worked or if they ever managed top sales folks and what were the qualities of those people. I'll tell you what the common response is for some of them. They say that the top salesperson, they're being very honest with how they qualify a lead and they'll only put kind of the balls in the bucket when it's actually like truly qualified. So when it comes to that topic as a salesperson, you're qualifying every candidate that you put on your schedule. What process do you use? Is there a framework? Is there a tactic to actually qualify them to make sure that they're not wasting your time? Yeah, there are like tons of different ways to do that. I think a lot of reps do it on like deal size, like first and foremost, like you want to make sure you're spending your time properly. Also fit something that's interesting about selling a background check solution is that we're a regulated industry. So there's this law called the Fair Credit Reporting Act or FCRA that governs all of us. And what that does is it gives like very clear like situations on when you can use a background check and when you can't, and they call that permissible purpose. So what I always try to do is make sure there is that permissible purpose or at least a pathway there so that we can sell the deal. Because a lot of people that come to Checker being an API first company is they have all these creative ways that they want to use a background check, but you can't necessarily do all those. Like we, we can't make that happen. We can if we tweak your business model a little bit and you listen to us and, and take time to like understand and research the Fair Credit Reporting Act and all of that. But those things like will be first and foremost to me. So like permissible purpose, deal size. And then from there, I won't really know much until I really get on a call with somebody. And I really like to do in-depth discovery calls because if there is an opportunity to work with somebody, I want to make sure that I follow through with that. And something else to just to say to like qualities of a top salesperson or whatever. I'm not sure I've seen consistent top salespeople that weren't in like sales machine organizations. So I think you'd find if you know you really looked in like the best salespeople at startups out here, I think they're going to be like really different. They might be really smart. And I think that's maybe the one consistent thing. But, you know, I think it's really hard to nail down who the best salespeople are, because at least all the ones that, that I've met have been so different and like so changing, like right in front of you. Like uh, you'll know them when you see them because kind of like a startup, they're, they're a little bit of a unicorn. Yeah. And it sounds like they all have a process. They have fund- fundamentals. They have a methodology. And he talked a lot about qualifying. Do you all have a process for unsticking deals. So like as an AE, you're going to be working on a lot of deals that close, but then there's going to be a lot of big deals. There might've been some step in the process where you got stuck on. Do you guys have a process to unstick deals like Medic or MedPick or an acronym or framework like that? At least not today. I think just the way background checks are sold are a bit different than most software companies. So some of those like standard practices don't necessarily apply. But I mean, case by case basis, like I'm a huge believer in like moonshots, like, uh, you know, I think we talked earlier, you, take, you miss all the shots you don't take. So exactly. like uh, I'm big into making those like dream opportunities happen some way. So if a deal is stuck, I mean, there are definitely functional things like going on that you just have to be aware about. Right. Like, yep. you know, that somebody has got a boss, you know, they got a boss, you know, they have these internal things. So putting your, yourself in that person's shoes just to become a little bit more aware of what might be going on. 
And then just leveraging internal resources, like mm-hmm. for whatever reason, executives only like to talk to executives sometimes. So mm-hmm. if you need your VP of sales to, to send an email, give a call, like make that ask, because mm-hmm. I've seen that work more and more than any of the acronym processes or anything yeah. like that. And then again, creativity, like, you know, just, just the other day I lost this deal. And the first thing I did was I packed a box full of checker swag and I sent it to the CEO because he's going to work with me eventually, mm-hmm. you know? So like, you know, maybe being a bit brazen, nice maybe, touch. yeah, maybe yeah. doing things like that. Like, I think that's what unsticks or like brings a deal back to life. Sometimes if you go through the best practices or the acronyms, then you do get put into that bucket all the other salespeople are in. So, I think, I mean, um, to your point, you guys are doing something that's working. It doesn't always have to be a framework. It might just exactly. be a one-on-one weekly or monthly or semi, you know, monthly. And all right, what do you need help with? And mm-hmm. then they unstick it for you or somebody else does. So cool. Exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to, um, I guess, hiring salespeople, because you've grown, you've developed these frameworks for the sales team. I'm sure you've interviewed, you've sat on the other side of the table interviewing candidates coming in. What are the qualities that you look for and how do you evaluate that? Yeah. So both being on the the interview side for Checker and then also when I was recruiting for salespeople, I just got like a lot of interaction with salespeople in general. Something that I look for, I mean, there are a few things, but one, like somebody's got to be intellectually curious. So if you're not asking those like second and third follow-up questions because I said something general, then that's usually like not a good fit. Also, you know, somebody that's charismatic enough, but not like over the top. I just also look for somebody that, you know, is thinking about connecting the dots. So, you know, you can teach anybody like a process and have them go through the motions, but somebody that can connect a dot, you know, between a relationship or between a company use case or something innovative like that, like those are kind of your game changers. And right now, because we're such a small team, we're really looking for people that are only game changers. I mean, we need all of uh, the best talent as possible. We'll, We'll get to a point where we can start, you know, hiring people that are you know, college athletes and, you know, did the enterprise training program and all that. Like we'll, we'll get to a phase, right. You know, where that's applicable, but today we're looking for just the people that you walk out of a room with and you're like, wow, like whether or not we hire them or not, like I want to keep tabs on that person because they're going to do something. Very dope. Cool. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round and this is where the three of us will ask you several questions. And we asked you to provide responses that are actionable that containing strategies or resources that you've used to get to where you are today. So with that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes us back to the basics and um, it's all about starting over. So imagine you just got dropped in a new city, you don't know anyone and you only have $100 and you're starting from scratch. So assume that food and shelter are taken care of, but what would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get back in the feed and hopefully eventually land a job in sales? Yeah. Wow. What a question. Um, the fact that I have food and housing taken care of in this random city is dope. So like, <laughs> so, so that's a big win for me already. No, but with a hundred bucks, I mean, this is going to sound weird and people probably won't believe it, but a hundred bucks, I'm going to find the best and coolest pair of shoes that I can. And I'm going to walk into a networking event and huh. people are going to ask me where I got my shoes. I like that. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Um, people gonna, knocking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They're going to talk about my shoes uh-huh. and then we're going to get to... You see the guy with the dope shoes? Exactly. Say, What's exactly. Up? I mean, shoes are, they're different. Like you can have a cool shirt on, you can, you know, be dressed nice, but like shoes stand out for people like for some reason, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, but no, really, I mean... All that aside, I, I would network more, figure out like where and the kinds of people I want to be involved with, like where they actually congregate to. And then from there, you just need to really put yourself out there. 
we talked a little bit earlier about how sales is a lot like dating and it is, you know, throughout the process and similar with networking, like sometimes you just got to go up to somebody and say, Hey, how's it going, man? What's going on? Yep. Uh, Cause if you don't, then they're going to look at you like just some other dude yeah. at the event. Yeah. yeah. You, you gotta or come, woman. Sorry. Or yeah. woman. You got to come in with swag. I mean, like you walk in a room with swag, everybody's going to pay attention to see what's going on. Yeah. Just this morning, uh, just to give a shout out to Ruben. So we were at the gym <laughs> this morning and we're like lifting, talking about breaking into startups. And then Ruben sees this uh, VP of engineering of this 21 Co. It's a Bitcoin startup yeah. across the whole gym who is like working out, working out in this tank top, like a little sweating. And Ruben was like, oh, snap, uh, we should have him on our podcast and do the campus tour of their startup. So he just marches right over to him. And uh, a lot of people would have like come up with excuses. Did Ruben say, bro, you need a spot? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you just got to take that chance because you miss 100% of shots you don't take. And yeah. He got so his happened? number, guys. You got yeah. his number? So, well, stay tuned for that. We got, we got <laughs> yeah. that episode coming out. And yeah. it's cool because, like, we just, the way you connected, it was just like doing it personal, which is like, yo, Bozzy reached out to me. He's the CEO of the company. And it's made it real. Like, oh, I see you here all the time. What's going on? Like you said, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't always have to be like what you're doing and making people, people feel used. Nobody likes pickup lines talking about the dating exactly. type of thing. So, you're a baller, man. You're, you're an athlete, right? You, you've done pretty much every single sport. If you could share one lesson from what you learned in sports that's applicable to breaking into startups, what would it be? That's a great question. For the record, I don't know how much of a baller I ever was. I've always been an undersized <laughs> guy that just had the heart, the underdog heart. No, but really. Something I learned through two sports specifically, football and basketball, was um, football's a game of inches. It's a game Ooh. of inches. Basketball is a game of angles. So more and more I've learned like life is a game of inches and angles because it's the small victories and it's the way that you look and perceive things that really get you ahead. So for example, on the sales side, if I'm reaching out to somebody and it's not working and it's not working, if I take a step back and come at it from a different angle, something that like people or my prospect wasn't expecting, I guarantee I at least get some kind of response, at least some kind of response. And then similarly, I'll take that some kind of response as a small win, as an inch. And I'll take that inch and I'll go to her boss and I'll tell her, hey, Marcy, Tammy, those are usually the women in HR that I sell to, by the way. Uh, Shout out Marcy and Tammy. Uh, But I'll say, hey, Marcy told me this. How true is this? And that boss is going to be like, well, if Marcy wrote back, let me write back. And then she'll tell me this. And if it's something I don't want to hear, then I'll take that inch and I'll go somewhere else. And then I'll move my angle a little bit. So I think life is really a game about inches and angles. Small victories and the way that you come up against things. Oh, that was poetic, man. You are good at telling stories. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to uh, write some quotes on a picture with you and then just like (laughs) share all over the internet. Uh, Life is a game of inches and angles. I'm definitely posting that on my Facebook wall. It's already on Ruben's Twitter. I was going to say, that's Twitter. Less than 150 characters. Dope. So um, kind of to wrap it up, if you kind of were giving advice to your younger self or maybe younger sibling who's trying to figure out like what they want to do, tech sounds cool. So like what uh, advice would you give to someone who's still like trying to like find their way into tech? And um, yeah, like any words of encouragement, advice, anything else? Yeah. So, I mean, just in general, and I think I, I kind of spoke to this a little earlier, but don't get into startups for like the glamour stuff. Like we all see the perks and the meals and the million dollar venture capital spending and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And like, you know, I, I hope every one of you, you know, get to that position. I'm, I'm so lucky that I have, I can't believe it, you know, but 
you need to be able to work in that failed startup. Like that's something that you need to commit to. You need to be okay with that. You need to know that every morning that you wake up, it's going to be shitty and you're, you're not going to like it. It's going to be hard work. You're going to come home. You're going to complain to your mom, to your dad, to your significant other. And you're going to tell them, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You need to be okay with that. And if you're not, then there are plenty of great companies and opportunities out there. But if you're coming to a startup just because you worked in finance, maybe, and you, your roommate was coming home with free dinner every night, I mean, you're probably going to get put yourself in a situation that's not only like a step back in your career, but also something that is just creating a gap in your resume and something that's going to be really confusing because you're seeing these people do well here and you're wondering why it's not you. So get into it for the right reasons, first and foremost. And then second, like have fun with it. I mean, we all work so hard to like make these small two-person, three-person startups into the next Google, Airbnb, you know, whoever you want to call out on that list. And that's a lot of time of your life. So just make sure you're having fun with it. It's what you want to do and make sure you're into it for the right reasons. And if you stay committed to all those things, take the right steps that, you know, my boys here have set out and breaking into startups, you'll find someplace, you'll land somewhere. But landing there is only like the first step. From there, it's all about growing, scaling, being successful in the startup. So maybe that's like part two of breaking into startups, right? Yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's exactly what it is, man. It's like getting in is only the first step. You, then you got to actually climb up the mountain. You can feel the incline under your feet. And yeah. To your point, to some people, it might be a step back. But if you look at it from a different angle, it might be, you know, the thing that springboards you into the next level. Yeah. And I'm about to wrap up. But before I do... um. One last question. So you're this like rockstar salesperson. And as you're growing through your career, there's a lot of people telling you like what to do in terms of their sharing advice and mentorship. Has there been a piece of advice that you didn't take or you kind of created your own strategy contrary what the general consensus is that you've seen that work for you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like I haven't taken any advice and maybe that's a bad thing, but <laughs> like most of the advice that I got when I got here to San Francisco just seemed topical and it just seemed like something I could read off of like a blog or something like that. Similarly, like, you know, the past managers I had, you know, the advice that they gave me, it seemed like I could see where that was leading and that's not where I wanted to go. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think doing it, you know, yourself being genuine, being organic about it is a really good way to go. But don't be afraid to take advice because if I could go back you know, there's maybe some things that I would take maybe a second look at or even just try for the sake of trying. I'm a bullish person. I'm, I'm hard headed. So I don't necessarily, you know, take advice well or like do things maybe I necessarily should is kind of the rebel in me. But it's OK not to be a rebel sometimes because I know there's a lot of people out there that they kind of live under that anti-hero flag. And, and that's totally great if it works. But sometimes, you know, advice will work. And that's probably why they're giving it to you. So, so just be humble enough to have that awareness to know like when and where to go. Yeah, absolutely. And for the people who want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah. So no Facebook, sorry guys. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at monetary slang. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn, or you can, uh, you can shoot me an email too. Happy to network, give advice. If you know somebody looking for background checks, I'm definitely able to sell. So um, <laughs> that's uh, Ian, I-A-N, at checker, C-H-E-C-K-R.com. Awesome. Love breaking, awesome. everybody. Stay in yeah. touch. Make sure you Thanks follow a lot, up. Man. Peace. Peace. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. 
If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought in the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.